We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Filato. Today is day two after another debacle for the Giants, and we have had the time now to go in and watch the tape and figure out what the Giants were doing, what they tried to do, Nick, and what they were able to accomplish. We're going to get into the plays a little quicker than we did last time here, um, and we could start that off right away. I know Nick almost threw one up, but I do like to go before we do that. Quick takeaways. Yeah, I threw a lot up last night. I'm not going to lie. We've been throwing up all day. Um, I do want to talk quickly, though, about and I'll give you mine after I'm going to throw it to you first, Nick. You're just takeaways from watching the film. And I like asking, how did the film differ from maybe what you saw on the broadcast? We're going to go through a couple plays and I want to address specifically because we talked about them on the live stream. I just have different opinions now that I've saw seen the all 22, but I'll reserve that for a little bit later on in the podcast. Look, this is the third week in a row. The Giants are significantly struggling handling these four technique wide nine stunts and twists with five man protection. The Giants are a team that they can't run five-man protection right now. And if you look at the primary reason why, and this is a novel, we've already addressed it, but I think we need to readdress it, is the offensive line and the rotating musical chairs that the Giants have up there, not having a true center, which I think is leading to a lot of miscommunications up front in the protection. Having Jalen Mayfield play, what, 46 snaps? This guy was a practice squad call-up. And he's playing 46 snaps next to a bunch of young and struggling and developing players with a quarterback whose confidence could be hurt at this point because he is just getting hit time and time. And again, I think we must contextualize how this offensive line, it's it's not habitable for a quarterback to be back there when it's an obvious passing situation. The Giants have to have six, seven man protections. And when you do that, you limit your receiving options. And that's kind of been the story of the Giants right now. Because these teams are pinning their ears back. They know where to align, and the Giants are not passing off these twists specifically at a rate that's going to be conducive to success for the Giants. It's just, it's a terrible situation up front. That's uh, one of my primary takeaways. There's a bunch more. I'll get into it, but what you have. So I want to start by saying I feel like it's a cascading, um, you know, cascading string of events. The Giants can't block up early in the game, right? So they fall behind for whatever reason, either the defense or the offense. And then they're in this mode first Dallas, first San Francisco, first even Arizona, which they were able to get through to some extent. And then these last two games where they're playing so far from behind that they're in these full pass modes out of the shotgun. 
and defenders don't have to play the run. So they are running twists with no regard because nothing matters. You can just run it because they're going to have to pass. They're playing with bad game script and the bad game script leads to these situations. And I'll say some of my takeaways, Nick, were one, you know, I didn't feel this way after the Seattle game. After the Seattle game, I almost felt worse about the film from Daniel Jones. After this game, I felt better. I thought Jones was much better on tape than he was on the broadcast angle in this game. Doesn't mean he had an amazing game, but I thought he made some good throws in this game. I put one up on Twitter, the back shoulder to Darren Waller, not the near touchdown to Darren Waller. That was also a good throw, but I'm talking about the back shoulder to Waller because he stood in the pocket on that. He didn't escape it. He slid a little to his left and fired the ball downfield with pretty good accuracy and ball placement to Waller. It was a tough catch to make. He dropped it, quote unquote, but it was a tough catch to make. It was a great throw from Jones. I thought there were multiple examples of Jones standing in the pocket, taking hits and throwing the football instead of escaping the pocket, um, which has happened at times in the past, but more so in this game. I felt like there were more examples in this game, Nick, and there were a lot in other games, but even more examples in this game of just absolutely epically bad pass blocking, like just to degrees that just don't make sense where like Jones catches the ball and there's just a breakdown immediately. Almost every single time it feels like not every single time. That's an exaggeration I think has been used by other people to make points, but on more times than should be, there's just these like quick immediate breakdowns, specifically on the interior offensive line. It was a horrific game at times. It looked like Christian Wilkins was literally teleporting into the backfield around some of these guards and to end centers that couldn't get their hands up on him. It's those twists. And if you look at the defensive linemen, how many snaps did they slant? It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to line up directly over top of this. By the way, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to line directly over the top of that interior offensive lineman. And then I'm just going to jump to his outside. And then what does that do? The, the offensive lineman playing next to that interior offensive lineman tries to help. And then the other guy ends up getting a free rush in on Jones. It's slanting and it's twists on passing downs because the Giants can't run the football. When you slant and you're a defense and there is a running threat, maybe Saquon Barkley will help rectify this, but we've seen defenses use this against the Giants in the past. When you slant, your gap exchange between the other slanting defenders it could be compromised, and you can exploit that through running the football, but there's no true right. threat with the Giants running the football, not just because Saquon Barkley isn't there. It's because they have players like Jalen Thomas and players like Jalen Mayfield who are practice squad call-ups, and I'm not saying that they're the primary impetus to why the Giants suck right now, but there's no continuity on the offensive line. Andrew Thomas and John Michael Schmitz, those were the two offensive linemen we were excited about. Both of them are out. Ben Bredesen, we don't love the fact that he's starting, but I'll take him as a starter at left guard. Now you're throwing him at center. You're adding yeah. this whole mental component to his game. And he had a terrible game out here. Yeah, I didn't think he played game. well at all. Finish your point too, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. The, the you, It was a good point. By, it was a good you know follow-up by you. But my point was going to be, you know, these defenses that are slant doing all these things like slanting their defensive linemen and running these twists and suns, they're able to do that because the Giants are playing from such bad game script, game after game. That's what I meant by the cascading string of events. It's like, yeah, they have no, they're playing with no regard for the run game, not just because the Giants don't have Barkley back there, but because the Giants are playing from behind on such a consistent basis and putting themselves in these pass or die downs where the defense can just run games like that up front, which makes the job even more difficult for these young offensive linemen. And this was what I thought was the worst game by the Giants offensive line this year in a string of very bad games. But this to me was the worst one. And I saw Daniel Jones. That was my, that, I have two more takeaways. One was just, I saw Daniel Jones take so many hits in this game, man. So many tough, rough hits. There was a play where he escaped the pocket, should have just thrown the ball away, tried to run for the first down, got like three yards out of six and just took a massive hit. 
this dude's injured now with a neck injury. He might play this week, but he is just taking so many hits back there to a crazy extent. Like I do understand what the people who say, Oh, how would you perform when you're getting all these hits and all this pressure are saying? And I never didn't understand that. I know you understood this the entire time too. No one's ever tried to take that point away from you or anyone who's believes that all we've tried to say is that are that when they do have some opportunities, we need to be taking advantage of them in this game. The giants did a better job. And by the giants, I mean, Daniel Jones of trying to take advantage of those, the throw to Waller, you know, on the, on the up and out and up and go like that was a great double move. We wanted to see that it was there. He threw it the throw to Slayton up the right hash. That was a good throw by Jones. He recognized the safety rotating down. He recognized the depth the safety was playing at pre-snap and he understood he was rotating more toward the middle of the field, not down, but the depth he was playing at pre-snap, he understood he could take that shot to Slayton. He was just missed. And I don't even think it was a bad throw. I think Slayton has to try to drag his, drag his toes on that one. Now, some have said to me, why wasn't the throw more upfield and led so he can run under it? That's, a question to be asked, but obviously on that play, you still think it's, it's still considered a good throw because uh, the receiver got his hands on catchable. it and it's catchable throw for sure. Uh, and, and then the throws make that catch. Yeah. Yeah. If you can and I'm not saying Darius Lane isn't an NFL receiver. No, I would say great receivers out. can make, can get their feet in there. In my yeah. personal opinion, the great ones uh, and Slayton's not that. And then the throw to Waller on the back shoulder. Again, I mentioned earlier, but that's a great throw by Jones. And yeah, he had some misses. The third and sixth of Wandale is a bad throw, obviously. Um, and there were a few others maybe, but this wasn't, this wasn't like the Seattle game. I thought where he was just fooled into stuff and he looked so rattled. He didn't even look rattled in this. He just was pressured an insane amount in this game. Um, and yeah, it was bad. And then go ahead to your earlier point about the cascading effects and, and the giants getting behind and, and negative game scripts, even when they manage to get something going, Dan, they shoot themselves in the foot. There's yeah. always something. There's always one missed assignment or one penalty. You could take the giants second offensive drive in this game. They move the football relatively well, right? Then Eric gray takes a negative one yard loss on, on a play sets up a third and seven where there's that miscommunication on the offensive line that will break down a little bit later that a lot of people are blaming Evan Neal or Daniel Jones for that sack. And what does that do? That pushes the Giants back. Graham Gano ends up missing the field goal. The drive in the second quarter, they got themselves into field goal range and Josh Azudu commits two false starts. Now, they did convert on third and nine because Darren Waller ran a nice little dig route, kind of slant type of play cool. and they converted. But still, you're, you're in field goal range and you're shooting yourselves in the foot. And if you go through all of the games, damn, this season, whenever they get to the midfield, they end up committing dumb penalties. They do. They did it against Dallas with the Andrew Thomas false start and then the John Michael Schmitz bad snap. And they've done it in several other games so far, even in this game after the Bobby Okereke interception, the Giants had a holding on third and three. And it, now Graham Gano kicked the field goal. But what is wrong with this team that they're so undisciplined when they're encroaching on scoring position? They're, they're so close. It's like, oh man, we're about solidified yeah. in Graham Gano's field goal range. Now we have to make a mistake. We have to miss an assignment. Just seems like that's something the Giants have done this entire season in almost every game whenever they are somewhat competitive. Yeah, they've had massive massive regression from a touchdown standpoint in the red zone this year. That was a big reason the Giants were able to win games last year. They scored touchdowns in the red zone this year. They're not scoring touchdowns in the red zone. The last point I wanted to talk about, and let's get into the plays right after this, is I, I know some people, I put this on Twitter, Nick, and some people are like out on this because he had those two quote-unquote drops that I think were both good plays by the defense, the, the, the Waller drops I'm talking about. But Darren Waller, in my opinion, I was really, I don't want to say intrigued, but I was really 
hopeful and optimistic, cautiously, at least speaking, about how the Giants figured out a way to get him used. We talked last week, or I talked last week, Nick, about how I just can't believe how many times the Giants bring in a big player, Waller, Galladay, whoever it may be over the years, and it's just like they're not even used at all. How are we not figuring out ways to use them? Well, the usage went up in a good amount this week. So Waller accounted for 42% of the Giants' first read targets in Week 5, according to Fantasy Points. Waller's rate was just 20% through the first 20, uh, four games. So that was a double increase in first read targets. His route participation went from 76% over the first four weeks to 98%. His target share went from 18% to 37%. And his air yardage share, this is the most promising for me, went from 24% to 57% in this game. So they figured out ways to use uh, Waller in, in all over the field, all three levels, and on first reads, which I was happy with. And then watching the tape, Nick, I liked how he was aligned. He was aligned sometimes as the inline, and then they got tried to get him going on like a screen, uh, a chip and release screen. He was aligned as the lone, uh, a backside, you know, lone X on a three by one. He was lined as a Z in that way. He was aligned off the scrim line of scrimmage as a big slot. So I just liked to see the increased usage for Waller, and obviously it led to his best game of the season, statistically speaking. I know, again, some people are just going to knock him for the drops. And when Miami rolled out there and covered one, they were trying to take shots from Darren Waller, who was either in the slot or from the Y by basically running him in front of that cover one safety. Like if that cover one safety wasn't going to clamp down, I think Jones was tasked to fire the football. It's just Jones really didn't have the time to do that yep. in this specific game. And there were other reads where Jones was just trying to get the football out of his hands, but they were dialing up at least deep shots to Darren Waller. We haven't really seen too much of that so far this season. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons, and one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform, and it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less, yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit matchup to $100. You will not regret it. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. There are few things better in the world than kicking back, watching some football, and biting into some delicious Little Caesars pizza. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. And get ready for some football 
and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Old world pepperoni, pepperoni, extra cheese, Italian sausage, olives, onions, pineapple if you're into that. Put it on half the pie, the entire pie. There are so many other options that I don't have time to name. Slap that on a round crust, a thin crust, a stuffed crust, a Detroit style deep dish. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. To exercise and recover at your best, you need quality sleep. And to achieve quality sleep, the right mattress matters. Mattress Firm will help you find the right mattress for restful and restorative sleep with their wide selection of high-quality mattresses from top brands at every price point. Quality sleep on the right mattress means improving your overall performance both in and out of gameplay. And with Mattress Firm's low price guarantee, you can rest easy. See a lower price? Mattress Firm will match it. Plus, try it for 120 nights to make sure it's right for you or your money back. To start feeling and performing at your best, find your mattress. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At the early holiday savings event at your local Mattress Firm store or online. We are brought to you today by Manscaped, who has taken a step up from Balloween to bring your face the cleanest shave it's ever seen. So this season, no need to toil in trouble. Manscaped's all-new handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology, the handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and use code BIGBLUE for 20% off plus free shipping. And for all my wolfmen out there, yo, shout out. If you got a little bit more scruff on your face, Manscaped's Beard Hedger Pro Kit has everything you need to tame your mane. This cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. So no more drawers full of extra add-ons collecting cobwebs and is very annoying to organize. There's no trick with this treat. Manscaped has you covered. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGBLUE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BIGBLUE. For a look as sweet as candy, get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Okay, let's get into the plays now, Nick. Let's start with the first one here. Excuse All righty. So the first play I have here is quarter one, 14, 21. This is a second and four, and it's just a quick little pass to Isaiah Hodgins that I wanted to um, point out because there's a miscommunication on the Dolphins defense. Because I remember when I saw this, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. A nice, successful pass play early in the football game. You can see Isaiah Hodgins. He is in line. Everything is condensed. The Giants run 12 personnel motion Daniel Bellinger to the other side. You just have a simple little hitch flat top of the screen. And Isaiah Hodgins just sits OTB quick little spot route. And you can see this player, the apex defender, he's making a push call. Number 21. He's passing Isaiah Hodgins off. See how he throws his hand in there. But homeboy right here is attached to the running back, which we can barely see on the screen. And he goes to the flat. Nobody accounts for Isaiah Hodgins. This is a quick pitch and catch. Good job by Daniel Jones to recognize exactly what is going down. And Isaiah Hodgins, he missed a couple blocks in this game. Well, he missed yeah. one block. I think a lot of people are blaming him for the first drive, the the block where it looked like he was supposed to block down on the cornerback. And but Brita was supposed to run inside. And the Giants, they run all these packaged plays. And we talk a lot about packaged plays, and I'm sure I probably have a package play in here, so I'll go through exactly what that means. But when you think a bubble screen could be coming, when that is within the package of the RPO that the Giants are running, Isaiah Hodgins is going to block an outside shade to give Wandale Robinson, who runs the bubble, an alley to run up the sideline. So Matt Breida, when he when they handed the football off, because it was the run part of the RPO, when Matt Breida takes it and bounces it to the outside, Isaiah Hodgins isn't going to be able to cut off the inside angle of the cornerback. It's just unrealistic to ask. Right. But the bad one that Isaiah Hodgins missed was the Wandale Robinson screen a little bit later on, if you want to call it a screen, it really wasn't a screen. It was more of like just a little quick uh, flare pass to the outside. Here's just the, the play to Isaiah Hodges. We'll move on to first quarter, 12-26, third and seven. This is a throw that is going to be low to Wandale Robinson. I just want to pay attention to the twist. People are really blaming Daniel Jones for this third and seven. Look, you can. It's not as egregious as the one that happens a little bit later on in the game. But Daniel Jones gets hit by two players at, right when he releases the football. And there's just no communication with the twist. And this is kind of what I was talking about before. This, these four technique wide nine twists, these tackle yep. end twists. Now, tackle end means the tackle is going to be the penetrator. He's going to go right through the B gap and the end is going to loop underneath. So that's exactly what happens. We'll see it here. Daniel Jones is checking with the protections. And you can see how 94 goes right to the B gap. McKeithen takes him. 43 comes right in. Hits Daniel Jones. Could have been helmet to helmet, possibly. And the throw is a catchable. Wando Robinson ends up kind of sliding there on a third and seven. And the Giants don't end up converting, obviously. But these, these, um, the inability to pick up the twist, man, is something that 
these teams just keep running. It's that specific alignment that the Giants are struggling yep. with, though. So I don't believe we're doing superlatives on this one, but if we were, this would be my best route. And it's Darius Slayton at the top of the screen, plus splits of about four off the numbers. Watch how he sets up to the outside. He has his shoulders dipped. It looks like this is an outside release and he gets this cornerback, which is Xavier Howard, I believe to completely flip his hips. And then he just goes right back to the inside and look how much space he created by convincing Xavier Howard that, okay, I'm going to release outside. I'm going to run up the sideline. Nope, I'm going to come right back on this slant and I'm going to catch the football. And this is a third and six right here. Easy conversion, just a very beautiful route by Darius Slayton from a three by one set as the outside wide receiver in man coverage. Yeah, bad snap, low snap here. Jones is a good job collecting it. I had this one in my notes too because I just love how, you know, it's such a good route by Slayton and he goes, he gets away with subtle push off here, which you're never going to get called for, in my opinion. And he just does a perfect job, in my opinion, of selling that outside route like he's going up the, like he's going up the sideline and then breaking back inside. Yep. Just like that, whips his head. And look, he has so much time. Like, watch how much time, <laughs> like, that is, he has, a crazy amount of time for the New York Giants because the Giants, everything has rushed, it seems like, with this team. And I wanted to also look at this from the end zone view. Look, Evan sure. Neal's taking a lot of shit, rightfully so. He has not developed. Other than the last drive, which was horrendous. Like, I don't know what he has against Tyrod Taylor, but it was horrendous. And I think mm -hmm. five of his six pressures happened on that last drive. And then the obviously the sack, the miscommunication that we'll go over here in a little bit. But other than that, I felt like Evan Neal took somewhat of a step forward to where he looked competent, he was more in position, and he was more deliberate and decisive with his punch. And there were a couple plays, I don't think I have the play where he snatch and traps Christian Wilkins, just throws him to the ground and falls on top of him. He has a play where he just tosses Van Ginkle. And then there's just plays where he's just in position, and he's not allowing yeah. these edge rushers to run around him, and he's framing his blocks much better. So I don't want to say, it's, I mean, it is signs of encouragement, Dan, and I, I think you have the same takeaway. But I mean, it's it's low of low right here with Evan Neal, and it's just the worst plays are just so bad that they really stand out. Yeah, we discussed this before the pod because we wanted to figure out, you know, where to go with what we saw on tape, and that's it. what you just said at the end is exactly what we came to at the end. What I what I said, and I know you agreed with just based on what you just said now, Nick, which is those low of low plays are so transparent and and you know pushed around social media and wherever that you know, and they are really bad plays by him that it almost kind of frames who he is entirely to the point where even when he can put out pretty good game film, like he had in this game, like look at this rep, the rep you discussed, the snatch and trap against Christian Wilkins. And generally speaking, he was just in a better position more times than he has been all season long. And yet no one's talked about it yet today. I haven't seen one positive note on Evan Neal outside of what you just said, Nick. And those are signs of encouragement, right? Like it's not perfect yet. And he still, again, had a really bad final drive with Tyrod in the game. I think more so than not, that probably is just being gassed. I think a lot of the, I looked at this game film, Nick, and I felt like toward the end of the game, the Giants were so gassed in so many ways, like so many players I saw looking gassed on the field. Maybe it's the heat in Miami or just, you know, that kind of game where you're just running around so much because the Dolphins have 500 something yards off. And this is mostly on defense, too. But, you know. Ultimately, I feel like Evan Neal did take a step forward in this game. It's not going to be discussed a lot, but I like that you put up one good rep there, and there were multiple reps that I felt like he was in better position this week. And he just looked more confident, especially with his hands. Yes. And like he looked more decisive with his hands, and he was he was quick to engage. And there were some pass rushing reps where Van Ginkle, who, I mean, this dude's just an underrated football player, where Van <laughs> yeah. Ginkle like anticipated and he timed up Neil. Neil was varying his punches a little bit, but Neil was a little bit more aggressive with his hands in this game. And he had one inside spin 
Van Ginkle where he just blew right past Evan Neal because Evan Neal kept doing that one set and then going for the double punch and going to initiate contact. Van Ginkle timed it beautifully. And got to give my tip of the cap to the Wisconsin Badger for you. And here is the sack heard around Giants Twitter. This has been blowing up Giants Twitter right now. Whose fault is it? Is Daniel Jones supposed to throw hot here? That's what my initial interpretation of this play was. And I'm not going to sit here and act as if I am 100% certain on what happened with this play. So I want to make that clear, but I'll give you my opinions on what happened. If we look at what the Giants are doing, it's a five-man protection. Giants use the motion. Daniel Jones doesn't even look at 91. If we watch, there's a nose, there's a nose tackle over Ben Bredesen. Ben Bredesen is tasked to take 94. And then if you look at the left side of the line of scrimmage, they're all just taking their guy. This looks like five on five, big on big Bob protection, where McKeithen is going to take 55. If 55 comes, that would mean Evan Neal is going to take 91. My initial thought is 55 is coming. That's going to be Evan Neal. You remove the most dangerous man and Daniel Jones got to throw hot off 91. But I thought there was another defender involved. Right off the clip that was circulating around Twitter. There isn't. It's Ben Bredesen over 94, and I could be wrong. Again, make that clear. But why are there four eyes on 55 right now? There's no other defender that is a threat. So I'm assuming, and I wish we had more tape of the pre-snap portion of this. Um, I'm going to guess that the Giants initially slid protection because 20 was sugaring into the B or the A gap, and he was closer to the B or A gap. And the Giants slid protection that way initially, and it ended up being the wrong call, and it got corrected by a new center who is Ben Bredesen in here. And that call just never got to Evan Neal. That's what I think. But again, I'm not certain. But it doesn't make sense to me that there's four eyes on Jerome Baker, and Daniel Jones isn't even checking 91 at all to throw hot. Because if, if that was the case, if the protection was set that right. way, Daniel Jones... I don't think he's going to overlook the fact that this 280-pound defender is going to have a free run on him. So there was definitely a miscommunication, and I'm just assuming Evan Neal didn't get a call, and it led to this third and seven debilitating sack where, honestly, even if Evan Neal blocked 91 perfectly, you had Christian Wilkins bitch Ben Bredesen to the side. And just another, another twist, same thing, right? This one's a five technique goes through the B gap, and then the wide nine defender goes right underneath. And you can see how they, he has that Justin Smith. Someone on Twitter said that to me. And I was like, dude, that's a great throwback. This Justin Smith hold. Remember Justin Smith of the 49ers to do this all the time? He's holding Mark Lewinsky, not yeah. allowing Mark Lewinsky. It should have been a holding call to, to pick up that twist. That twist might have been picked up too because Lewinsky recognizes it right here. He might be able to get enough of two, but it didn't matter because Ben Bredesen had one of the worst losses of the season to Christian Wilkins. What, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would. I had initially looked at this play, and I, you know, I heard what former giant or former NFL offensive lineman AQ Shipley had to say about it. Obviously, Dan Orlovsky commented on it too. I know some people are saying Court Warner commented on it as well. I didn't see that. I think Kurt Warner just commented on the last two weeks what Jones is dealing with. But I did see Boomer Sizen talk about this with with JJ Watt on uh, someone linked me to that. Ultimately, I've thought about this a lot, and I think what it comes down to is, sadly, like Evan Neal didn't get the call. I think that's what it is. Something happened here, like you said, probably a shift in protection, and Neal just didn't get the right call here, which was, you know, because this is just a four, what is it, a four or five-man rush? It's against, a five-man rush. It should be five versus five. Five-man protection, yeah. It should look, be an Neil, easy five versus five. Neal steps. His eyes go to 55, but he steps outside, right? So it's not a slide, right? Right. He steps outside. And then he's like, okay, 55 is coming. That's my responsibility. 
but it, it's not your responsibility. Right. Like, I'm not, like you have McKeithen there. He, I guess, was thinking that McKeithen was going to take 94. Ben Bredesen would be taking 20 if 20 was coming. Glowinski would take the five technique, and then Azudu would take the wide defender. Logically, what I thought, and I could be wrong again, but it just doesn't really make a lot of sense that 91 would just be completely disregarded unless there was an right. obvious miscommunication. Yeah, I think that's just what it comes down to. Something that happened here. And I know people are going to blame Neil for that, but like I'm sure these kind of issues can happen on all across the offensive line at any position uh, when you have a new center in there who hasn't really played center uh, in a game like this in a tough environment. But ultimately, like you said, communication issue or not, the Giants just like in the end, like people have debated this back and forth. Oh, who should it be on blame? But like the blame is not what's important. What's important is that it's happening and the Giants are not going to be able to win football games when things like this happen. Spot on there. And we'll go to the next play. It's the second quarter, 12-53, first and 10. This play, the Giants showed this specific look in the backfield several times. I like how the Giants are incorporating Wandale Robinson in the backfield. We know he was a running back when he was at Nebraska before he transitioned into being a receiver at the tail end of being at Nebraska and then into his Kentucky days. But they were using this orbit motion and this motion just get him off to the flat. And like I said, there's a lot of packaged plays in this offense. So Jones quickly deciphers. I think he knows he's going to throw this to Wandale maybe even before he snaps the football because the closest defender is on the hash. He looks at that defender. He stays because the Giants have handed the football off several times. You have numbers out there now. You get the football into Wandell Robinson's hands. Isaiah Hodgins executes a block. And you have Wandell Robinson with a defender well inside the numbers and then a defender at depth. I'll take that any day of the week. That's got to be at least a six-yard gain. But damn, Isaiah Hodgins blows his assignment here. And this is the play I was referring to before, man. Like Isaiah Hodgins has to be better uh, in this specific situation to not allow Kohu to just shoot underneath because Wandell catches the football and he just gets hit low too. That's just a terrible situation. But I like the um the fact that the Giants showed this look several times and then ran it against an advantageous defense. But like most things with this New York Giants team in this season, it didn't work out. Yeah, I thought you you nailed this analysis, Nick. Um, this should have been a big play for the Giants. It wasn't. Obviously, Isaiah Hodgins has to execute. Hodgins has to execute better, but. Ultimately, you know that with this team, there's going to be defenders driving down on these types of plays. Like, I don't even like And I, you mentioned at the end, like, I thought Wondell was hurt after taking this hit. Like, when I watched it live, obviously, he, he played back. He went back in the game. But, you know, these are tough throws for the receivers, too. If you're, if you're, if you don't execute that assignment, I guess I should say, you're putting them in a position where they could be getting in a tough, like, they could be getting hurt in a lot of, in a lot of these spots. So, I get it. Like it's a good find by the giants, but it has to be executed better if they're going to run these plays. Cause they've tried a lot of these throws around the line of scrimmage. And it seems like every time they try it, they're tackled behind the line of scrimmage. You got nine guys basically inside of the hash, right. nine defenders. So you have a lot of space out there, man. This is just a game of math. You have Wondell Robbins, uh, Isaiah, man. And Isaiah is usually a, one of the better blockers on the team. So that was just, this, and he knows it, man. You can look at his body language. It's, it's not great. And speaking of these package plays and the RPO, this cornerback, I want you to pay attention to this quarterback. This is an RPO that gets blown up. The Giants run this type of stuff a lot. They hand the football off. They throw it when there's leverage. Right now, you're going to have the end man on line of scrimmage squeeze. You're going to have that apex defender also step down to defend the run. Daniel Jones knows he has a cornerback whose hips are slightly turned to the to the inside. You can see like the front of his hips are slightly turned to the inside. So maybe Darius Slayton, who is aligned inside the numbers at the top of the numbers will be able to win outside, but this cornerback is anticipating it. And this is the kind of stuff that you and I are talking about. A lot of these defensive teams, they're 
they know the conservative approach of the New York Giants offense. So they're going to squat down and they're going to sit down on a lot of these routes. And that's exactly what happens here. Watch this cornerback step to the outside and he eliminates that throw. Yep. And Daniel Jones second guesses himself, probably rightfully so, because that cornerback knows that this is coming. The cornerback sees the mesh point and then he just reads Darius Slayton and he takes an angle right through the outside shoulder because they're not threatened with the deep pass, especially not with this type of play, which just is an RPO. People are like, oh, should Daniel Jones have thrown it downfield after this? It's like this play is supposed to be bang, bang. Either hand the football off, throw the bubble, right. or you throw the RPO. But when the defense is playing you so aggressively to remove this specific thing because you never threaten them deep, then you're screwed if you don't throw the football or don't hand it off. So once Daniel Jones decides not to throw the football here because that cornerback plays it so well, he's screwed. One thing he can do is try to extemporize, but the Dolphins were all over him. It was a great breakdown, and I think it's a good sign of just, you know, a few things here. One, how teams have adjusted to play the Giants, and then two, how a lot of the times people can think that, like, something's on a quarterback when it's not actually on the quarterback here. Like you said, this is a bang-bang play. There's only three options, and the ball has to come out fast. When it's taken away like that, there's really no option for the quarterback here, as you can see from the first angle, the sideline angle, where there's nothing really open downfield. And look at 21 and 51. Daniel Jones is making the right read, right? They all pinch down to the run. Yeah. And this, I mean, even if he did throw the football, 64 is downfield. We've seen that get called uh, against the Giants in the past, to uh, much to the chagrin of the New York Giants fans. All right, though. Let's move on to the hitch and go in the red zone. Second quarter, 440 left. You and I brought this up, I think it was maybe last week or two weeks ago. The Giants have to run this play. I'm on Raw, ran it on a Monday night football game, I think, with the Detroit Lions when they beat the crap. Maybe it was a Thursday night football game when they beat the crap out of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, it was Thursday night for a touchdown. And we said on the podcast, look, teams are playing the New York Giants in the manner that we just discussed. Everything. We're just going to drive down and everything underneath because we don't trust the fact that they're going to beat us vertically. So gas them and run a vertical route off a hitch. And that's exactly what the Giants do. And I don't think Darren Waller does the best job selling this. He kind of never stays stagnant. He kind of sways into it. And it doesn't look like Xavier Howard gets fooled too much. He bites down, but Xavier Howard is a good cornerback. He recollects himself. Daniel Jones, there was a very nice pass here close to the far hash, very catchable football. I don't think it's an egregious drop. By Darren Waller, I think he should have caught it, but I just think you got to tip your cap to Xavier Howard, and this is a very good play by Xavier Howard to break up this pass. But I just love the fact that the Giants incorporated this play, and it almost went for six. Yeah, they finally ran this. It was good throw. I think if you zoom in, you can, which we can't do from here, you could just see what Howard does in coverage, which is he immediately upon, he holds the arm down, and then he gets his left, and he gets his left arm down on the left arm as Waller's trying to put it in. So it's like really hard to catch a football, in my opinion, when somebody's dragging down and collapsing and breaking your left arm from the catch point. But having said that, and I understand what Giants fans say when the frustration they have, which is, you know, they brought this guy in to make those plays, to make those catches, to make the harder, more difficult catches when, you know, a cornerback breaks your left arm, make it one-handed, snatch the ball with your grip and, and bring it in. And they're not going to get this many opportunities a game. Like this hitch and go was a one and done kind of thing for this game. They had their chance right here. This could have changed the game in some ways and they weren't able to cash in and it wasn't on the quarterback and it wasn't on the pass protection, which you can't always say about this giant <laughs> team. Look, the pocket's great. The quarterback does a great job of understanding, uh, you know, the leverage here and understanding where to put the football, in my opinion, away from the safety. And he does a good job with that. It's a nice touch pass over the top. And obviously they can't come down with it. I also wish that the Dolphins were running a different coverage because the fact that the safety or whoever that is, is crossing the face of Darren Waller once he turns may have forced or allowed Xavier Howard to play this a little bit more conservative. True. 
Because watch, like right here, Xavier Howard's still off. And then once he clears, it looks like he starts to come down. Bought him a little bit more time to recover once the double move happened. And again, I don't think Darren Waller sells this excellently, man. He doesn't really stay all that low. And he kind of yeah. sways himself right into the break. Like watch Odell run that against Cincinnati from years oh, past. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, that's how you run that, man. That was like one of the most crisp routes you'll see on this double type of move. Now we have, oh yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up too, Evan Neal. We brought him up, we brought him up before. This is another good rep from Evan Neal. I think this is Ogba 91 tries to club down and win around the edge, which we've seen Evan Neal surrender several times. He gets both of his hands on him and just kind of shoves him up, stays in front, doesn't allow him to bend around. Just a solid overall rep from Neal. And if you look at his feet, it's not even necessarily just great. Like he opens his hips a little bit early, but he just contacts and then doesn't allow Ogba to defeat him. So I just wanted to give my, uh, give credit to Neal in this situation as well. Yeah, for sure. This is another example of just like if you watch the tape, you see more good reps than you were expecting from Evan Neal in this game, given the narrative. Uh, definitely took a step forward to some degree. Obviously, it was a bad final drive with Tyra. Don't watch that if you want to if you want to <laughs> listen to that advice. Now we have another third and six, Dan, third quarter, 930. This is a, a twist from hell I have written down in the notes. Because, By the way. Um, you just brought that up, by the way. Did you ever see the Curb episode where Richard Lewis uh, tells Larry David that he created the blank from hell term? You remember that one? Oh, man. I've seen every Curb episode, oh, but man, it, that's epic. not coming to it's my like mind. one of the newer seasons. Richard Lewis, okay. someone says like, oh, she's the something from hell. And he's like, I made that up. I'm the one who said that the blank from hell. And like he tried to like make the case that he was the one who created the blank from hell, um, which I don't think it's just like a whole thing. It's it's a funny episode, but it just made me think of that when you said the twist from hell. Yeah. And this is a twist from hell. I love Larry David. His show is so funny. And then Seinfeld's awesome too. But if we go through this, you can see Ben Brett. This is how you execute a twist 92. And this is another thing. Zach Seiler. And or it might yes, be I, how about Zach Seeler or Zach Seiler? He looked freaking awesome in this game. Or was I it know. just the Giants are that incompetent that they made no, I, Zach Seiler look awesome? I think he's a very good football player. Yeah. And Chris, I, have, Christian I wasn't Wilkins. familiar with him, by the way, until this game. Christian Wilkins is an absolute stud, too. Well, but yeah, look at the front here. Stud. The third down, and you have two three techniques out there. And the three technique over Mark Lewinsky is just going to run right into the hip of Ben Bredesen. Wilkins is deliberately going to engage him and engage Mayfield. And then he's going to back off. You see how Wilkins... He goes in and then he's like, okay. And then he stops and he just waits for the pick to happen. Pick happens. Mark Lewinsky does a phenomenal job transitioning. And we don't give the Giants offensive line and their protection a lot of credit, rightfully so. But you can see how Mark Lewinsky tosses Siler to the side and it helps with the Ben Bredesen fall. But Ben Bredesen wasn't taking that anyways on the transition. But he's able to square back up to 94. But it doesn't matter because Siler ends up getting the sack on the play because Bredesen wasn't anticipating the three technique to slant or to twist all the way into that direction. So this is just um, the twist from hell as we have it marked up. But I also wanted to bring up Evan Neal once again against Van Ginkle. If we look, Evan Neal, watch his hands. He's waiting, low hands, low hands. Once 43 goes, okay, he's committing to the outside. You can see all the weight on that inside foot. He's trying to win to the outside. Neal just contacts that inside shoulder, throws him off balance and stays in front. Another good rep from Evan Neal. I'm glad I included a couple of these in here, even though they're not in here just because Evan Neal had a couple good reps. It's more so because everything else around him really sucked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it is good to see Evan Neal with some good reps on some of these bad, worst pass plays. 
Yeah, no. This this is this is a rough play for Daniel Jones from the far hash. This is a play deliberately designed, a third and six for Wandell Robinson. The Giants align him in the backfield. I like that they do that. Why would you do that? Because it isolates you against a linebacker. It isolates you against a defender who isn't as athletic. So you get Wandell Robinson to leak out against a cover three defense to the flat, and you use the two receivers on that side to clear out. Jalen Hyatt's going to clear out the deep third defender, and then the curl flat defender is going to get cleared out by Matt Breida. You can see it all break down right here, right? The puzzle, the chess match of football. You can see the curl flat defender latch on to Matt Breida, and now you're going to have somebody come from depth. It might be a linebacker or a safety, whoever it is. It's a lesser athlete that Wando Robinson can exploit. And you can see the space. Wando Robinson has nothing but space. He is leveraged to the outside, and he's in great position. But Daniel Jones just throws a terrible pass here on third and six, low into the outside from a good pocket. And these are the types of plays that you you just can't really miss on. And uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate. And um, yeah, that's just the reality of the situation, but a well-designed play from the New York Giants. Yeah, it was a well-designed play. It was one of their better pass protection plays of the entire game. Look at Neil. Look at Neil. Neil had a good rep here. Even Azudu had a good rep for, for what he's being tasked to do. They dealt with a little bit of what looks like a little bit of game up front with the interior guys. I want to run it back to the other angle, the sideline angle real quick here, Nick. So I think here's a good example of a few things. So one, you know, you said, uh, Nick, this is a, this is a terrible throw from Jones, and we can't afford to miss these opportunities. I think that's correct, but I think a lot of people, when they hear that or see that, Nick, um, they tell you, "Look, every quarterback misses throws like this in a game." And the answer to that is, you're right. But the issue being, those quarterbacks also, and we've gone over this in the past, those quarterbacks also make a lot of crazy plays that you're not expecting them to make. The non-easy ones, like this, is a layup for the quarterback. This is as easy as it gets. The protection is great. The design is great. The receiver is open. The player coming down from depth is not able to get there in time. There's a shit ton of space for Juan L. Robinson. But they're not all like that. And when the plays aren't like that, those are the ones where, you know, you either want your quarterback to make that, those or you want him to just make all the layups like a Brock Purdy style, right? Like to never miss a layup. But when you're missing both or you're not making some layups and you're not making enough of the crazy plays, it does get hard to kind of say that the quarterback's playing well. I also think, Nick, this is a good example of, especially considering, in my opinion, Daniel Jones made a decision before the snap, which he does a lot of, that he was going to Wandell here. It's another good example of throw with anticipation, right? Get the ball out before Wandell gets out of his break. Why do you have to wait to throw the football until after he's out of his break? If you get that ball out before Wandell's out of the break, I think you're going to actually have a more accurate throw because you're going to be a little bit more decisive in it, and you're going to throw to the, a spot rather than to where he is once he's out of his break. If you look at this throw, the ball, like Jones catches the snap, takes a few hitches and makes the throw. By that point, Wandell's already out of his break. But if he, the ball is out before he's out of his break and he throws it into space, it's going to hit the outside shoulder. Wandell's going to have a crazy amount of space to work with. And it's not only going to be a first down conversion, it's going to end up being a big play. But once you wait to make the throw after he's out of his break, it sometimes will lead to things like this, especially for a quarterback like Jones, who we've discussed in the past, isn't great at throwing with ball, has pretty poor ball placement, to be honest, when the receiver is already out of his break and running on that horizontal plane. But he has uh, displayed almost the opposite, which is better ball placement when the receiver isn't out of his break yet and is about to come out of his break, especially on those deep dig routes. So it's going to work toward his favor completely to not take those three hitches, to just catch the snap, Go to the read you already determined before the snap anyway, which is ultimately open, like you did the great job of breaking down, Nick. The defensive back coming from depth is not going to get there in time. And just catch it and rip, rip it. Like, don't take those two, three hitches and wait for him to get out of his break. 
I think you bring up a lot of solid points there. One one thing I want want to say about it is maybe just Jones not working with Wando Robinson in the backfield or at all throughout training camp. The timing is a little bit messed up. Like maybe you could make that a uh, point that out. Sure. But and but fair. either way, you're a professional quarterback. That ball needs to be on the outside shoulder. Allow as we say a lot. Allow the receiver to create yards after the catch. You can't throw this on a third and six. But I just kind of want to point that this is a really good rep from Evan Neal again, man. <laughs> like he resets himself. Good hands, good contact. Look how quick his hand is to engage that inside hand. Boom, right on the inside it's shoulder again. They're not perfect, and, but they look so much better than they have. Yes. And we're going to go through in two plays, uh, something about weird feet and offensive linemen. But I want to go over the second and three, quarter four, deep shot by Daniel Jones versus cover six. Isolate 1v1 against the cornerback on the outside. You could see how the Miami Dolphins are kind of clouding. Jalen Hyatt to the bottom of the field. You have that underneath defender, and then you have that safety. You see how he's just kind of flying over the top to get across deep into the numbers. That it's going to leave no safety help up top. Darius Slayton kind of runs an out and up, gets a little bit of space. People are going to say the ball placement isn't ideal. Maybe it's not ideal. This is a very catchable football, though. And I just love the fact that Daniel Jones took this shot to Darius Slayton and allowed him to have at least an opportunity to make a play. Unfortunately, he doesn't get both feet down. Yeah, and you could see it from the end zone angle even better um, how close this was to being a huge play for the Giants. Uh, we'll run it through right here, and then I have a few comments to make about it um, right here. The ball, you can see even if you just pause right there like that, yep. that like a great receiver is going to drag those two feet in from that angle, right? Like that's going to yes. be a great catch from a great receiver. I can understand people who are saying maybe the ball placement wasn't ideal because if you just lead him upfield, there's no safety help at that point, which was a good job by Jones originally anyway, which I brought up earlier in this podcast to recognize, in my opinion, the leverage of that safety before the snap number eight, and then to watch where he rotates. And you could see him with his eyes watching him rotate. The minute he sees that safety start to take those steps toward the middle of the field, he knows that he has Slayton, And so he's, he's okay with taking that shot. He also keeps his eyes directly in the middle of the field, right. catches a snap, and it's not until he goes back into his drop back that the head snaps around to Darius Slayton's side, recognizing the 1v1. Giants protection holds up pretty pretty damn well for them, and that ball is very catchable. Yes, I don't think it's very, ideal, but it's very catchable. Yeah, it's a fine throw from Daniel Jones. Slayton should be doing a better job, in my opinion, of dragging his feet there. And more importantly, I just like the recognition of where the safety is pre-snap and then where the safety rotates post-snap. I'm wondering if if that safety, if Xavier Howard was expecting that safety to be there or not. But regardless of the fact, I wanted the I'm not trying to crap on Josh Studu, but uh I remember when he was at UNC and he was taking mm. tackle snaps on the podcast. You'll recall, I was like, he has weird feet as a tackle. Like they're quick, quick feet, but his set is just weird. And this is a, a good indication of what I meant by that. If you just watch his feet. It's just like, what I don't really know exactly what like is going on there. Like it looks like he's about to vertical set, but then he just kind of second guesses it. Almost comes to like a, a horizontal base, and yeah. then just completely says, "Okay, I'm not fast enough to cut this angle off." And and I, I've seen this hitch with his set a lot throughout his tape. Whenever he's at tackle, and usually he's athletic enough to cut that angle off, but on this play he's not. And this is the play that ended up getting Daniel Jones hurt with the uh, neck issue if it was one individual play, but he left after this game. And I feel bad for Josh Azudu. This isn't really Josh Azudu's fault. He's not drafted to play tackle. He's drafted to play right. guard and he's forced to play tackle, as you said on yesterday's show. So I'm not highlighting it to crap on the guy, but it, do you see what I'm talking about with the feet, man? Yeah, it's really weird that that would be, I, I'm not really even certain why he would have that set for against a wide nine rusher. 
I'm not sure either. It just seems I don't know. Like it's something I've seen before too. Like when so you want to set wide against a wide uh, against a rusher lined up that wide, you might want to set vertical. But it, I mean, you have two guys on ninety two vertical, well. yeah. Or you could jump set. You're right. Like I've seen that happen as well before, which is one of those more wide sets, forty five degree yeah. angle too. But yeah, no, it's it's just something I wanted to 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 bring it's up. And then I do. and then I, yeah, no man, it is. And I feel bad for Josh Azudu as well. And here's the end of the game. Second and fourteen is a fifteen yard pass to Darren Waller. So the last play that I believe I have in here, Dan. And this is just really nice pocket maneuverability and pocket manipulation from Tyrod Taylor. The ball placement here is is not great. I want I want to bring that up. But I was sure. really impressed by how Tyrod Taylor got through two reads and found Darren Waller coming across the field and how he resets the pocket. And you'll see that really well on the next view. But you could see he doesn't like what he what he has on this little slant flat to the bottom of the screen. And he flashes his eyes to Waller and finds Waller. Again, ball placement, not ideal. Want to make that clear. Not making a quarterback controversy here, but I want to tip or I want to give some credit to Tyrod Taylor. And you're going to see what I'm really talking about at this point. Doesn't like what he sees. You can see how he's looking at the safety, trying to allow uh, time to develop for that slant flat or whatever the hell it was at the other side of the screen. And then he goes over there and he's like, okay, that's just not there. I'm going to flash my eyes quickly comes off it, right? Flash my eyes to Darren Waller, wait. And he has to wait until Darren Waller passes this 55, this defender and get into the throwing window. So how, what does he do? He doesn't just stand back there. He steps to his side to avoid the incoming pressure and he rips the football in. That's just good pocket manipulation. Again, throw isn't great, but that's that's fine pocket manipulation there from, from Tyrod Taylor. And I think Darren Waller does an excellent job adjusting to this football and bringing it in because if he didn't, that could have been an interception because 21 was bearing down. Yeah, it's an incredible in-air body adjustment by Waller. I put this play up as well earlier, Nick, and people were like going crazy about how bad the throw was from a ball placement standpoint from Tyrod Taylor. Obviously not recognizing the nuances you talked about, about one, how fast he moves through those first two reads, and two, how he resets the pocket to manipulate the pocket. Obviously the ball placement is bad though, but I thought this was a great catch by Darren Waller when I when I saw it. Look how insane that catch is, but nope, when I put this on Twitter, people are like, but he missed the other two balls, so screw him. He had a horrible game. So, All right. Whatever. I guess we can't say anything nice about these players today, um, especially not anyone not named, you know, the big one. But <laughs> but um, there it is. Like you could see from both angles, just an insane catch behind his body by Darren Waller here. Yes. And I just love how quick Tyrod is with everything. He's very quick. He's very quick. It's not there. Let me go to my other option. And then he gets patient and then he resets. I just think there's a lot of um, veteran traits on this specific play. So I just love this play from Jones for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, again, horrific pass protection. We'll run that back real quick. But he does a good job, in my opinion, of recognizing what he has available to him on the outside and putting the ball in a spot where Darren Waller can catch this. It's not the easiest catch in the world for Waller. I know people are killing him for dropping this, quote-unquote. It's To me, it's a really difficult catch to make. You want him to make this catch. But I just love Jones here standing in the pocket, understanding he's going to take a massive hit, understanding where he has the one-on-one -on -one really fast, and then putting the ball in a spot that can be made, a play can be made on by the wide receiver or the tight end, in this case, Darren Waller. This could easily be a play where I see Tyrod Taylor or Kyle Aletta or other people who have played quarterback for the Giants throw this ball inside and have it intercepted. Like, they take the chance despite the pressure and they get intercepted. But I thought Jones did a good job putting this ball in the right spot to potentially make the catch, and obviously it didn't happen, but... It was, uh, it was available for them. Sometimes as a quarterback, you just got to give your guy a shot. That's what you got to do. And Jones did that several times. It's just unfortunate that not many of those catches ended up being secured right. by the receivers. 
and that was one thing I definitely noticed about the tape this week. There were more opportunities given to the wide receivers and the tight ends than there had been against the, the Seattle in a similar game script where they fell behind and they were in pass only mode and the opposing team was blitzing them from the edge and run blitzes and slants and all the things to make it easy for the defense. I thought Jones did a better job of putting the ball in spots that could be caught at least a few times in this game. And the Giants also, one concept, and I don't have a cut, but one con- it's a simple concept anyways, that the Giants had some success with in this game was just mirrored slants. Which yeah, is just, I know. Like, right. Two by, two by two set. So you have two receivers on each side of the field, and all four of them run slants to the inside. Jones reads the pre-snap, which leverage he likes, what the defense is doing, and he fires the football. Quarter one, second and 12, 13-yard reception to Sterling Shepard. Quarter two, third and 10, 21-yard catch to Darren Waller. And they had another slant, which wasn't mirrored, that meaning that to the front side of the play, they ran double slants, but on the back side, they ended up running another concept where Jones had success throwing the slant. So maybe we're going to start seeing more of that specific quick game concept of double slants, depending on how the Buffalo Bills end up playing the New York Giants receivers, which I'm not looking forward to. No doubt. And no superlatives for this week. There just wasn't that much to talk about uh, from that in the positive light. So he felt like it was better to, 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 pe- yeah. to, to, to bury him for this week. But go ahead. One thing, Eric Gray received the second most snaps of the running back position. Breida was used in the slot a little bit and Eric Gray. So you saw some of that pony package with Gray. We didn't see any Gary Brightwell on the football yeah, field other snaps. than special teams. So that is a development that we should pay attention to. I think Gray looked really hot early on yeah. in his first couple carries. I was, oh, hello. But I, th- I thought he looked very good early on in the game with some vision. Some snaps later on, he just kind of yeah. ran to the back of, of of some of the offensive linemen, but an encouraging development nonetheless. Yeah, I thought he had a really nice blitz pickup on one play, too, that I put on Twitter as well. It was not an easy rep for him, and I've seen plenty of running backs blow that. Was it a blitz pickup, or was it Ben Bredesen falling flat and him running into Christian Wilkins? It was mostly that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at least he got his body in front of Wilkins, which Bredesen couldn't do. He did a better job of, doing, of, 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 <laughs> of, of preventing a hit on the quarterback than the actual offensive lineman on that play. Oh. So it was worth noting. And that is where we'll leave you off today. Thanks for everyone tuning into the Big Blue Banter offensive film breakdown. We hope there's better film ahead to break down, of course. But I will say this. You can you can criticize us for it, but Evan Neal had a better game this game, and the tape yeah. showed it. So we're going to stick by that, and we're going to say that. And so I'm sure we'll get some hate for that too, but it is what it is. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking with us in a season like this. It's just tough times to break down the New York Giants. It's not good. Um, but hopefully they can figure this thing out soon enough, and it sounds like they're optimistic about getting Jones back this week and potentially even Saquon Barkley. So Andrew Thomas, they did not sound optimistic about, by the way. If you heard Brian Dable, it sucks. It looks like we're going to be another game without Thomas at, 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 at minimum here. But, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon on the Defensive Film Breakdown.